It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So we got Michael McCarty and John Brassard, authors of the book Erie Quad Cities. Every year on the Ghoul Guide, we have a page featuring truly haunted places in the Quad Cities. And you've dedicated a whole book to that, haven't you, Michael? <laughs> yes, it's, uh, it's a quite a, a good collection. John and I, I collected a lot of uh, local folklore, uh, haunted places, uh, you know, true ghost stories. And, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite a read. You know, and, and the ghost story thing right up your alley, you're a five-time Bram Stoker finalist. We know what that means. <laughs> And in 2008, you won the David R. Collins Literary Achievement Award from the Midwest Writing Center. Meanwhile, John is a writer, researcher, and narrator for the Kitchen Table Historian. So when you pair up history with you know ghost stories, you got the perfect book in Erie Quad Cities, right, John? Oh, of course we do. So tell me about this book a little bit. Where did you guys find all the material? Sometimes it's knowing the right people to talk to in the case of uh, one of the stories we covered in there was the William Bettendorf Mansion, which is now Iowa Masonic and Bettendorf. I did some research and some work for them, and I happened to talk to some of the right people there, and they were nice enough to give me permission to share some of their stories that had happened to some of the people there, disembodied voices, things like that. Uh, other places, you can find them just researching their documented cases. Other people, some people approached Mike off of the first book, Ghosts of the Quad Cities. When you're talking about Ghosts of the Quad Cities, I know one of them is the Tinsmith Ghost of Rock Island. That's one I've never heard about. Tell me about the Tinsmith Ghost. Ah, the Tinsmith Ghost, believe it or not, I found it in the newspaper. I was doing some research on some other things, and I came across this story about an allegedly haunted house. It was uh, right off the Rock Island District. It was actually where the house was located was right down by the old Rock Island Courthouse. And this woman was living there alone, and she started seeing this spirit there, this man wandering through her house. And this, she talked to a neighbor because she was terrified. She was sitting there alone. Her husband was off the business. And this person said, well, describe him to me. And she did. And it sounded exactly like the former owner. Well, word got out, and people, at one time, there were over 500 people crowding the street in front of this house just hoping to see something. I mean, it was, it was crazy, and then it just died off and disappeared, and I could never find her again. She, I don't know, her husband came back and took her away or, or what happened, but the house is gone now, and the, spirit, the story was never anywhere else, but it's like, wow, that's just too good not to tell. We're visiting with Michael McCarty and John Brasser Jr., authors of the book Erie Quad Cities. Now, what about this banshee on Brady? What can you tell me about that? Yeah, uh, you know that's that's one of the, another uh, focal lore, you know, uh, uh, about a, a banshee uh, story. And and banshees are these ghosts that scream really, you know, you, you know kind of a horrible scream. That right, supposed to be. Be haunting, and uh, there's a, 
a report of that uh, on Brady Street, and uh, we talk, talk about that as well. Um, I like to add a little bit of thing to the uh, when, when he's talking about uh, John was talking about the uh, Tinsmith. Right. Um, that location uh, I went to it just recently. Is between uh, it's an empty lot now. They tore the house down since then. But uh, yeah, since then uh, it's between a coffee house and a mortuary. <laughs> oh no, kidding! <laughs> that's a that's a creepy location right there. But so, maybe the spirits are very perky because there's coffee. <laughs> so, do you find you know from your research that these uh, these different mortuaries do they tend to be haunted or not, Michael? I, I find that most of the uh, areas that are really kind of that that we got a lot of documentation on and stuff. Is more the uh, cemeteries uh, than the mortuaries, um, um, and I'm not sure exactly why that is. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we've definitely had a lot of um, you know reports at cemeteries, and and uh, between the both books, you know, the Ghost of the Quad Cities and Erie Quad Cities, I think we covered every uh, haunted cemetery in the area. <laughs> and do you guys give the locations for these different things, like more specifically, like is it this address or the corner of this and this? Is that in the book, or is it more vague? No, no. We give the exact address to the locations. Um, I mean, we give the address. It's, it's. Uh, I think the only one we really don't give the address for is uh, uh, in, in book one, um, The Ghost of the Quad Cities. We don't really give the uh, address for the Cryberry Bridge because it's just a bridge. Well, but, and here's the thing with Crybaby Bridge is it seems like every county in America – as a crybaby bridge. I remember, you know, I'd take calls about, you know, where are the haunted places in the Quad Cities? That would always come up, I think, down in Monmouth or somewhere. We were living in Madison, Wisconsin, and we moved up there. One of the neighbors said, well, you know, uh, there's this place in the next county over called Crybaby Bridge. I'm like, okay, stop. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's one of those things that there, I mean, there's a kind of a, a reoccurrence of kind of stories that do kind of go, kind of go across the uh, America. Right. You talk about the Crybaby Bridge. Uh, we had uh, in the Ghost of the Quad Cities there was the uh, uh, the Black Angel, which was in uh, uh, the Moline uh, the Cemetery, and now there's a, there's also a Black Angel in Iowa City Cemetery. So the, there is kind of a those kind of things do reoccur. Um, there's also another famous story. It's all across the United States. It's, it's this, this kind of setup of a lady in white just walking down the road. I mean, that's kind of based on the Resurrection Mary uh, right. legend and stuff. But you go across the United States studying this kind of stuff, you'll see that pop up over and over and over again. Well, this is the best time of year for, whether it's folklore or true-to-life stuff, this is the best time of year for that. So, John, being a historian, I remember back in the late 70s, I was a huge fan of Six Million Dollar Man. I can't tell you the number of times Steve Austin, the $6 million man, had to take on Bigfoot. But there was a Bigfoot sighting near East Davenport. Was that by the village of East Davenport, John? Yeah, that was down, allegedly, down in the village of East Davenport. They saw someone they called the Wild Man, and he was barely coherent. He was, if I remember right, it was a young boy. And he came in, and they saw him, and then... He just kind of disappears. It was one of those. It was like the Tinsmith's ghost. It they came in and they made mention of him, and then he was gone again. And it was never. They said that his body was covered with a fine hair, so it was almost like 
the Bigfoot before Bigfoot. Right. Now, there were more contemporary stories. There was one story we found that didn't make the book that there was allegedly a Bigfoot sighting. A guy claimed that a Bigfoot was stalking him through Eldridge in the early 80s. He had a paper route and something was following him through, leaving big footprints in the snow. Uh, there was another one that did make the book about somebody in the Wapsie Bottoms that did have an encounter with Bigfoot. He was out there camping and one decided to visit him outside of his tent. You know, he decided not to go out and see it. I don't blame him. Right. But I mean, you know, I mean, there were all these stories. Uh, there's been something like 10, 15 different sightings of Bigfoot around the area, everywhere from Hampton, Illinois, all the way out to, well, Eldridge in the surrounding area around the Wapsie. So, I mean, that's a pretty big way to roam. And normally I'd just say, really, Eldridge, you're going to see a Bigfoot in Eldridge? Really, man? Seriously? Because I grew up out there. Right. But... We had a black bear wander through last year. I was just going to say, I wonder if it was a bear. Yeah, and, you know, the thing that killed me is that that bear, where it ended up, because it went down towards I-80, it had to have crossed through the Wapsie Bottoms at some point. Sure. I mean, I grew up stomping those woods, and I tell you, I would have had some very interesting things to say if I would have seen a bear walking through there. So, John, this story took place in 1869. How do you research something that's like 150 years old like that. Research, it can come in a lot of things. Sometimes you hear a story and you can say, well, about when that took place. Well, I think it was down in here. So the wonderful thing about search engines, it used to be you would have to get into microfilm and you would just read newspapers. I mean, it was a slog. Right. But thanks to a lot of genealogical advances, uh, people love family history. And sites like Ancestry.com, FamilySearch.com, they put a lot of search engines, a lot of these old documents like uh, census records for one and old newspapers for another one, a very important one, they put them on computer. So you don't have to sit there and slog through microfilm. Well, the wonderful thing about putting it on computers is that you can do a search for it and it will search through tons of different newspapers for you. You still have to look for it. You still have to tease things out. But it puts you more... It narrows down that search so much faster for you that you don't, you're not beating your face against the floor. Now, a lot of things still fall through the cracks with it, and I found things that frequently fell through when I was doing my own personal research on different things. And you think, oh, I have this for sure, I have everything, and then you come back, I come back a year or two later and found something entirely different. But still, it helps narrow it down, and your eyes aren't crossing when you're going through most of the time. Sure. So that's one way. So that's just one way to do it. So we're talking with Michael McCarty and John Brasser Jr. They're the authors of the book Erie Quad Cities. This is actually the second in the series, Michael. So as you're doing these stories, is there a story that really creeped you out, or that you had no <laughs> idea that that even happened? the story in this collection that creeped me out the most um, and I think overall this is the more scarier book and you know uh, Ghost of the Quad Cities I would say is maybe PG and this one I would definitely say is more PG-13 because right. the scare level is turned up Good. <laughs> but uh, the story that creeped me out the most was uh, this place called the Grandview Terrace, which is uh, no longer around, they tore it down 
seems like all the stories that we talk about places that get torn down. Right. The Tin Smith got is a lot now. This uh, the Grandview Terrace has been torn down. But before it was uh, tore down, it was a I called it abandoned and haunted because uh, it was a nursing home and it was abandoned for oh I think almost close to a decade. And um, there was uh, a, a friend of mine actually worked there, uh, and she was uh, being a, uh, a ghost adventurer. And one of the things that scares me about it is that she went to this place, and um, she brought a ghost back with her, and it went back to her house. So I think that's pretty pretty uh, creepy. How do you bring <laughs> a ghost back to your house? She actually had a blanket <laughs> that uh, belonged to one of the residents, and mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that resident was still in that blanket because she's, uh, she's seen them. So that is uh, keeps me up at night. It's kind of creepy. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. If you want a good scare this Halloween, Erie Quad Cities from Michael McCarty and John Brasser, Jr. Uh, you can go to, what, ArcadiaPublishing.com or HistoryPress.net to buy it? Uh, Amazon, local bookstores. Awesome. It's, it's all over the place. <laughs> yeah, we'll put some links up at our uh, Google guide as well. Michael, John, thanks for joining me. Uh, thanks for having Thank us. You. We enjoyed it. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.